I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today on Fairy God Boss Radio, I'm talking with Cindy Robbins, President and Chief People Officer at Salesforce and my personal hero. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're going to start by asking a little bit about your background. How did Mm -hmm. you get to where you are today? Uh, You know, I've had an interesting career. You know, I uh, moved to San Francisco uh, after I graduated Santa Clara University. Uh, So moved to San Francisco shortly after that, 1994. And uh, went to work at kind of a mom-and-pop shop consulting company and tried to figure out what I wanted to do, right? The classic, what am I going to do? But very excited to live in San Francisco, right? Right out of college with some friends. And I went into sales and into recruiting and kind of back and forth and then finally settled into recruiting for a while. Led to the dot-com boom. You know, that was a crazy experience, crazy ride. And then I arrived at Salesforce about 12 years ago. Um, I was working at a small startup, uh, Plumtree, that was acquired by BEA Software, and then uh, started working at BEA, and then shortly after that met a few people, was very impressed with the people I met with, knew about Salesforce, but not, you know, they were still fairly young. And I think even when I first interviewed, there were less than 1,000 people at the time, and now we're 30,000 plus. Wow. So I was um, really impressed, like I said, by the energy, the vibe. Uh, just, you know, the over, you could just feel there was a sense of culture there. They talked a lot about philanthropy and I just felt it was a purpose driven company and a company that I wanted to go work for. So I joined and I joined initially as a a contractor consultant. Wow. And, um, really, uh, you know, had a great manager, Aaron Flynn, who was running global recruitment at the time. And then got uh, converted as a full-time employee in a management role. And then slowly just moved up the chain, you know, by doing my job pretty effectively, working hard. And doors just started to open. Other people started to get elevated. And then that opened a door. uh, And then folks, you know, kind of brought me up and elevated me as well. And I I can talk a lot about this. I, I think the one thing outside of doing my job effectively that helped me at Salesforce was learning about what my brand wanted to be. How do you establish credibility inside a company? What is it that matters to you? And for me, it was building trusted relationships. Those trusted relationships in some cases led to advocacy and to folks in powerful positions being champions of mine. In one case, a mentor um, who really helped me He's no longer at Salesforce, but now I feel like a lot of them just really helped open the door for me and kind of gave me a nudge to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that certainly was the case when I moved from recruitment into the HR space and then taking the head of HR job. And that was that was very uncomfortable for me because I had a lot of prior success. I was comfortable. I was happy. Um, but I had a mentor who saw something more in me and really pushed me for actually two years, really, to kind of get out of my comfort zone. And I did, and this is where I am today. That is great advice for our audience. You know, I think I've also seen that being in those uncomfortable mm-hmm. places are really the times that you grow, and it's so important to take on those, those stretch assignments yeah. and pursue them. 
and seek sponsors who will help you do it. Yeah, I think that's really important. And honestly, 95% of those advocates and champions and the mentor mind, they were men. And um, because they were in the position of power, they held the decision-making power and they held the influence in the company. And so, you know, I do always try to go back and say thank you to them because every time I've elevated, uh, yes, I earned it, but I had help along the way. And I think it's important to go back and say thank you to those people. That's really lovely. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure very appreciated. So how do you think your career could have been different if you had been a man or if you were a man? Oh, you know, <laughs> that's like looking into like a crystal ball. I don't, I don't know. I mean, certainly, um, I know we're going to talk about pay, but certainly in the aspect of pay, you know, there were times in my career where I thought, I don't know if this is the right pay. And I think it's easier for men to talk about pay. I just think it is. And I certainly, in my role, I see it all the time yeah. uh, where there is a sense of expectation or it's just very natural for them, right? And to go after a bigger job or more money or more stock or whatever it is. Um, and I think for women, and I'll just speak for me because I was also an introvert and I had to really struggle with that and learn that it's not a weakness. It can actually be a very powerful strength, but certainly early in my career, it was hard for me for me to speak up in a meeting. It was hard for me to in any way self-promote or anything like that. Um, and then I would see it in other people or I would see it in men and it just seems so natural to them. So I don't know how maybe I would have gotten certain things faster. Maybe I, the pay would have been different. I, I don't know. Um, but I certainly feel now, um, and it's really great to see that women are speaking up and they are feeling that sense of power, that power used in a good way um, can lead to really good things. You know, um, I want to touch on something you said that's very interesting because I have an adage, which is, do you know what self-promotional people get? Mm -hmm. They get promoted. Mm -hmm. um, and you, so you, you've changed your core kind of personality, mm -hmm. not that you're, you're relentlessly self-promotional and also not that there's anything wrong with that, but, but the, your work on the compensation audit, mm -hmm. you've been quite promotional about mm -hmm. for good, great cause. Mm -hmm. So how did you make that transition to be much more promotional and how did you get more comfortable with it? You know, so the story, you know, the, the story is I have a very good personal friend at uh, Salesforce who's also product executive, and her name is Layla Seca. And a door opened for both of us about the same time, and we both got promoted about the same time into bigger jobs. And when we went to Mark with a menu of options that we would consider around, you know, really elevating women, retaining women, um, that included the pay audit, right? And that was something that we went to him with together. And I think, you know, there is power in collaboration and, and women supporting other women, but that was a case of us kind of, or us speaking up. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. I really, uh, in fact, I'm a, a little, I'm, I'm happy that it's out there. I'm happy that if there's ways that we can influence other companies you changed the to world. do the right thing. Well, Layla and I did it together. And I think, um, am I, it's a little uncomfortable with the, the external press as it relates to me because it's really, and I truly believe this, Layla and I could not have done that without Mark Benioff. 
there is no way we, we could have kicked and screamed, but uh, it's a tone from the top. And I think there is power and accountability that CEOs have to do the right thing and to do this. So I see this, the press, the good press that we get from this as I hope it influences other companies to come forward and do this. This is not something Salesforce wants to own. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of things that we have to do outside of pay as it relates to quality um, that we're trying to move the needle, but by no way yet perfect. Right. But I, I do think it is really leading change in other companies. We see it all the time. So it's amazing. And again, thank you for being brave enough to do it. And that's like what we were talking about, that you mm-hmm. stepped into something uncomfortable. Only only in those feelings of discomfort are yes. you really making change. Yeah, we, we you know, we didn't know. We, we get asked a lot about, you know, was it, um, were you nervous, you know? And I think it was more just... Well, two women executives at the company had a few ideas that they wanted to share with the CEO. I reported to him, so I had the path, you know, the direct line. Um, and I invited Layla to my next one-on-one with Mark, and we sat and discussed it all. And pay was one of many things. The other thing was parental leave. Yes. It was not where I wanted it to be. Um, and I was getting, obviously, a lot of feedback. I get a lot of feedback in my job. Um, and it's, we've now transformed it to 26 weeks, which is great. Amazing. Yeah. The gold standard. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your relationship with Layla. Mm-hmm. And I, I love to hear about this collaboration. Mm-hmm. I have a dream for the future where women are going to be all lifting each other up and mm-hmm. great collaborators. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. And actually, one of the main things we hear at Fairy God Boss is that as women raise, rise through the ranks, they feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So how did you establish that relationship? Mm-hmm. And how are you helping women at Salesforce at the executive level find that support? Mm-hmm. Well, I think well, her and I go way back, 20 years. So we met pre-Salesforce. Um, and I think we've just supported one another, not just as personal friends, but as two women and allies, allies and two women trying to elevate in the company and I think there is there is power in women supporting other women I don't know if we're quite there yet and maybe you know I've I don't know what the facts are but I do think as you elevate up you are you're not in a big community of other women right because as you elevate we know this because of the stats there's not enough women in leadership roles and that's not just a tech industry thing. This is across many industries. So I think as you just naturally rise up to the ranks, the, uh, the amount of other women kind of there at your, at your level, there's just not a lot the of them. The air is thin. Yeah. <laughs> so there is, you could feel isolated. Yeah. You could be the only woman sitting in a room, right, of 20. Um, and I think that's why I applaud Mark's efforts when he looked around the room at one of his meetings one of his quarterly strategic meetings, his operational reviews, and said, these are some of the top managers in the company. And it's like, why aren't there enough women in the room? That's how Layla and I got in there. Right. He opened a door. Our job was to stay invited. That was our accountability, right? He's opening the door. We own the other part. Right. And um, I think that is something that, you know, I hope to see – other companies do the same thing and look around the room and say, where are the women, right? And what do I need to do to improve that? And I, I do talk about data because I do think data can be a very powerful tool. 100%. However you're looking at it, like percentage of women in leadership roles, percentage of women in technology positions, 
Um, but I think as leaders, no matter where you are and what company, you, the data is there. Right. It exists. Right. And so is the, the business case that links diversity to better mm-hmm. financial performance, mm-hmm. which I think for people who are making decisions with their wallets is the most important thing yes. to reiterate. It just makes good business sense. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when we talk to women, mm-hmm. so much of their experience is defined by their manager. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, whether or not they have job satisfaction at their company, mm-hmm. it's about did they have a good manager. Mm-hmm. And many, you know, more companies, I would say, you know, not most companies don't have Mark Benioff. He's really extraordinary. But many have a leader at the top who's fully supportive of gender diversity. Where it breaks down is in the middle, mm-hmm. um, where where kind of mid-level managers don't represent the same commitment. How do you change culture at the middle level? I, th- I think it's a very hard thing to do, but I think, um, you know, you have to set the tone around the values of the company, the culture of the company, and how you're going about measuring that. And that is a trickle down, right? For us, we have something called the B2 mall. And that is the business plan for the year. And it starts at the corporate level. It starts at the company level where Mark and the management team come together. And it stands for vision, values, right? The values that, that uh, attribute to the vision. The vision is what you're going to aspire to do for the year. Methods are the actual actions that you're going to take to achieve that vision. Obstacles, the, the, the known hurdles that you're going to have to go through uh, to achieve the methods. And then measures. How do you measure it, right? Because if you can't measure it, it's probably not something you want on your business plan. I love that. I think Fairy Godboss is going to have a B2 month <laughs> this week. Yeah, a lot of companies have that. But I think it does drive alignment, not just with the management team, but it's a trickle down. Mm-hmm. So we kick off the year with the V2 mom and we present it to the entire company. And then we ask our employees to hack the V2 mom. We don't pretend to know everything about what's going on in the company, but we ask the employees for input. And feedback, and then we go back and iterate on it, and then post it. And it's posted and transparent, so as new employees are coming in and they're writing their own B two moms, they can see at the corporate level what is the company B two mom. I love it. This is the basis for Mark's strategic quarterly meetings. We go and we review each of those methods, people, and culture. That's number one, right? And that sends a very strong message because as leaders are developing their B two moms and they're trickling those down at the manager level, the middle layer. When you see people in culture, you know that when they do their quarterly review meetings, they're going to start with people in culture and how they're measuring that. And a lot of that will be also around equality, right? And the data and exposing the data. As leaders, we know every time we walk into these meetings with Mark, we're going to be held accountable for our data. And if we're not moving in the right direction that we should be moving as a company, then we're going to be held accountable to answering why. So I would posit that your extraordinary success at Salesforce really comes from the fact, this embrace of understanding this about the people, Mm -hmm. especially in the digital economy. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of companies still don't place that emphasis on people, talent, culture. Mm -hmm. And we hear from members of our community that they have trouble building the case for investment in it. What would you say to talent leaders and HR leaders that are, 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 don't feel that level of support? How do they argue or make a case for the importance of talent? I think, I think you have to think about it as if you want to have the best company to work for, right? You have to think about 
what is the cultural message that you're sending to applicants that are looking at who is there going to be their next employer of choice? I don't think companies can hide behind culture anymore. If you think about all the social media platforms, you look about your platform, right, and what you, all the great work you're doing, Glassdoor, Facebook, you know, all the impact of all these social media platforms, It's I call it the Yelpification almost yes. because candidates just don't go to career websites anymore. I mean, I'm sure they do a little bit, but almost as a last resort, they're going to Glassdoor and these other places to hear about what the employees are saying about this company. What's the CEO's rating? You know, what are what are the values? How what's the good and the bad that's being said? And then when you look at the overall review, it's just like when you pick out a restaurant. When you go to the restaurant, you expect you're going to get the experience that you read about. Right. Right? Right. I think the same is true for, you know, employers. And I think a lot of it for me links back to trust. And if I think about my role, I don't think of my role as head of HR, head of people owning the culture. The 30,000 plus employees really own the culture, right? They choose to come to Salesforce for the values, the culture. This is not about perks and things like that. And I think the questions that they're asking companies now are a little bit different. You know, but certainly not. I wasn't thinking about this when I was entering the workforce. I was just like, what's the job? You know, what's the the benefits like? You know, the normal standard questions. And now I think it's just very different. Right. Well, a high sense of expectation. It's a buyer's market in Mm -hmm. so many ways. When I started out, I was like, you know, just. Thank you. Give me a job, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and and we're you know close yes. to zero. Yes, thank you. Appreciative. Yeah. Yes. And but so so the the power really is with the job seeker, mm-hmm. particularly in highly skilled markets like technology. Yes. So what what do you think defines you? You move a vantage point from like the the cream of the crop. This is Silicon Valley. You guys are the fastest growing mm-hmm. there. What defines a good manager? What are you looking for your managers to be? We try to, I mean, like every manager is going to be slightly different, right? But I think it's how they come across, for me, how they come across in their authentic self will drive things like loyalty. And I think when you can drive loyalty within your teams through transparent and honest conversations, those are very difficult to have because at the end of the day, employees, what they want from managers are those honest conversations, not just the good but also the criticism, right? Because the criticism will actually allow you to grow. Now, it's accepting that criticism and how you manage it that can be the difficult part. But I think if you don't have that loyalty, that sense of loyalty, and I think the other piece of it is how do you elevate? How do you, in in a way, yes, you have advocates, champions, managers, mentors, right? Each of them can have, play a different role, but your manager should be, in some ways, you, your advocate as well. And if you don't drive that and help elevate them, whether it's them staying within your management chain or moving to another part of the company that allows them to really, you know, broaden their career, um, that's a good thing. I think for me, one thing, lesson learned for me in my um, tenure at Salesforce was when I moved into the head of HR job, I felt I was starting over. Um, because I had to build credibility again in a different role, bigger role, reporting to the CEO, different set of peers, building that trust. And I burned myself out the first year because I was flying everywhere, 
trying to be visible, trying to execute on getting wins, right? Because I thought that was the right thing to do when, in fact, I should have focused on my team first. Yes. Well, and also you're setting a, a bar that is unachievable for the rest of your team. Yes. And now I, I've learned to manage the work-life integration a little bit because by delegating to my team, I show that I trust them, right, right? which I do. It helps drive loyalty, but also helps develop them. And they feel like now they have a seat at the table. Yes. You have to give them, you have to kind of pay it forward, right, right. in a lot of ways. That's right. Um, so I'm going to ask you some uh, fun fast five okay. now. Um, what's your favorite book? What book would you recommend to our I audience? I don't even know the last time I read a book. Okay. <laughs> uh, I read a lot of decks, so I don't really no, know right? books. Um I I don't know if I have a favorite. The last one was a biography on Jackie Kennedy. Oh, so I do like biographies. I'm a big, for some reason, I'm just attracted about reading about other people's lives. Uh, and Especially a life like that. A life like that. Um, influencers, just across the board. Could be a celebrity, a chef. It doesn't matter. But I, I, I don't know. That kind of is my go-to. Love that. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite way to exercise, whether your body, your mind? How do you, how do you fill your time? Uh, running. Running. You're a runner. Running. Um, running, putting music in, and shutting off the, so the, the messages can't get through, the yeah. phone can't get through, uh, running down the Embarcadero in San Francisco on a nice day. That is, is glorious. Yeah. I got to say. That is uh, very, I get a lot of stress relief from that. Yeah. It just relaxes me. Great for the mind. Yes. Uh, what's your favorite movie? I don't know if I have a favorite movie. I will just say I like everything from A Devil Wears Prada to a Three Billboards. I mean, that's probably the last one I saw. Um, but, I, yeah, it just depends on the mood, you know. But I probably watched Devil Wears Prada, I don't know, like ten times. I love that movie. <laughs> and also, interestingly, felt like I lived it a little because I started my career at Estee Lauder. And... I always laugh because, you know, they say, you can't let the phone ring. Yeah. That was what it was like. You yeah. can't let the phone. I was like, no, of course you can't let the phone ring. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I don't know. Just, uh, I'm a repeater. Yeah. I like, I don't watch it just once. I'll like repeat it. It's like a good song. I'll just repeat it. And like my husband's like, oh my God, you're just killing that song. And I'm like, I know. I don't repeat it. Yeah. A lot of comfort in it. Uh, so one person dead or alive you would like to have dinner with. And I bet you get to have dinner with lots of cool Already. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'll tell you three that I'm either reading about or they're making statements that I think, um, especially around gender equality, is I would love a dinner party with Melinda Gates, Oprah Winfrey, and Reese Witherspoon. Can I come? Please. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, what is your karaoke song? <laughs> As I said, I'm an introvert. You will never catch me doing any karaoke at all. Um, but I can tell you I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Awesome. That's fun. So I'm going to ask you to leave us with one thought for the audience. And I um, was wondering if you would share from our audiences all over the country in all kinds of positions, what is one thing you think they could all do to support or think about gender diversity a little differently? How can they help? They want to make change at their companies. Mm -hmm. How can they help drive that change the way that you have? You know, I think it's about find your voice and find something that you're passionate about and then find the path to get there. 
Um, I think with Layla and I, we we were at a restaurant talking about a menu of ideas to talk about with Mark. Parental leave, equal pay, um, a women's summit that wasn't our idea. It was an idea um, that someone came to us with because she needed a path to get to Mark. Right? A women's summit at Dreamforce. Well, he um, you know, he's a decision maker. And I think when you try to find something that you're passionate about, then find a path to get there. There is a path. You don't have to report to the CEO to get to there, right? There is a way to get there. And I think um, finding your voice and speaking up is great. I think that's great advice. And I would also say to our audience that because of your work, CEOs are more receptive than ever. So they're probably more willing to hear someone, anyone's voice in the organization because of your work, Cindy. So thank you very much. Thank, and thank you. you for spending time with thank us today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy Godboss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.